Good morning. It is so good to be with you this morning on what might perhaps be one of the last over 100 degree weekends in Austin. Maybe, maybe. That would be wonderful. Uh, this past Friday, Austin and I went to go cheer for the runners at the Zilker Relay, and it was that was super fun. And also, it felt a little insane. We were and the runners were like, "Why are we doing this? This is maybe this is, feels a little crazy." But uh, kudos to them; it was very inspiring. So, whether you are a runner or a cheerer or neither of those things, uh, hopefully, fall is right here around the corner, and fall in Austin is glorious, as we know. So. Um, and so if you uh, were present last week or if you watched online, you heard Christopher, he gave kind of a trailer to our fall vision series for the next few homilies coming up. And we are officially kicking that off today. And the Vox leadership team is really excited to invite you all into a conversation we've been having for a few years uh, where we have started to become curious about how power functions in our Vox community and in the larger Christian tradition. And what, what is our sense, our collective sense of what is working, what isn't working, and what could be possible about uh, power dynamics within the church. So we have been noticing that many of us came from faith traditions where there were strict hierarchies with pastors or priests or sometimes theologians or Bible scholars here at the top and often a senior pastor at the very top, and then diminishing levels of power flowing downward from there. And we've been interrogating that hierarchical model for quite a while. We've been asking whose interest does it serve, whose interest does it not serve? Does that model follow in the path of Jesus's example of nonviolent love? And if not, what model is best aligned with our Vox values and our understanding of Jesus's practice of nonviolence? So uh, some background. Over the past several years, Vox leaders have been listening to podcasts and reading books that were analyzing this question. We listened to The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill a few years back, which felt very familiar to many of us who survived sometimes barely, faith communities with celebrity leaders who famously said things like, either get on the bus or get run over by the bus. <laughs> like Just very provocative and violent imagery like that that actually uh, had a parallel violence in people's bodies. Chuck DeGroat is the author of When Narcissism Comes to Church, and there's a poignant moment in the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast where he says, we should be asking this question of why do charismatic pastors so often abuse the people who are entrusted to them? That's a, it's an important question. And we should also be asking ourselves, why do we pedestal leaders like that? What, what, what do we, why do we entrust them with like what Kimberly and I have been calling life-ruining power? Like, what, what need in us might we be trying to get met when we do that? And could we imagine getting those really good needs met in a different way? Can we imagine a church without any pedestals? Or could we imagine a shared leadership structure where cycles of harm and violence and abuse are more easily prevented? So we also read together this book, A Church Called Tove, in it, 
Scott McKnight invites us to notice something you may also have observed, that when the voices of more women and queer and non-binary leaders are brought into the mix, the church becomes more inviting, more inclusive, more empathetic, more compassionate, safer, and more secure for everyone. And we have also found that to be true. Uh, over the past few years, diversifying our leadership teams here at Vox has helped us make increasingly more well-informed decisions. And so whether you have been on that journey with us over the last several years, or whether you're newer to this community, we'd like to invite you into this conversation with us. What are some of the strengths and potential shadows of both hierarchy and non-hierarchy? And since hierarchy is the only power structure many of us have ever really known in faith communities, what might be we learn together by experimenting with non-hierarchy or non-hierarchical practices here at Vox? How might non-hierarchy be a way of embodying Jesus's nonviolent love in community? So we don't have the answers to that, but these are some of the big questions we're inviting you to explore together with us in the coming weeks, starting today. And so perhaps a question to begin with might be this. What has been your experience of hierarchy and non-hierarchy, maybe here at Vox or in faith communities, growing up or as an adult? So perhaps would you take a moment of silence right now even and allow your mind to float back to some of those experiences and just notice how your body responds to even these words. We're going to unpack some of those today, but you might begin by placing attention on your breath, and I'm going to give you a few moments of silence. Noticing our breath can be a helpful way to invite awareness of the presence of the Spirit, the presence of love within us and surrounding us. So we'll invite that awareness also as you reflect on your experiences of hierarchy and non-hierarchy in faith communities, and I'll give you a moment. All right, in these last few breaths, allow a word or a phrase to surface for you that names something you noticed inside you when you think about hierarchy and power in faith communities as you've experienced it. And let's take one more inhale together. Exhale loudly. And if you're open to it, turn to a neighbor and just share something you notice. It doesn't have to be everything. It doesn't have to make sense. Just a word or a phrase you're open to sharing. And then we'll come back together. So go ahead and turn to somebody next to you and share. All right, folks. Let's come back together. And I'm going to ask you to share how, what feelings are you noticing just around this conversation as you reflected on your own experiences, as you practice sharing and listening? Just call out some words, uh, feeling words, emotions words. What, what's happening for you just around this conversation? Just call it out. 
If you're feeling it, somebody else probably is too, and there's probably a wide range. Confusion. Disgust. Disgust. Sadness. Sadness. One more time. Trust and shame together. Heavy. Yes. We're in it together. Yes. Couple more. Say it again, Naomi. Murky, confusing. Yes. Good. We've got a, a theme emerging around that. One more. Triggering. Okay, good. I'm glad we we're just naming all the experiences we're having together, and we are all in it together. Um, this conversation is tender for many of us, and also each of you has a wisdom that you're bringing into this conversation. It's a wisdom rooted in your own story and your unique perspective. And so as we're discerning together here at Vox how we want power to flow in our community, we are inviting you and we need you to be discerning that with us. And this morning, our text from Philippians helps us notice something about the way Jesus embraced his humanity, his humanness, and used that to subvert the existing power hierarchies in his day and age. So uh, we're here in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, where we read this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So the first thing we might notice here is this word equality. The word in Greek that is translated as equal, equal or equality holds this sense of identical. So it's this, the root of the English word isometric. So think of like an isosceles triangle with, two, with all, at least two sides perfectly identical in angle and length. This is a traditional way to think about God as a relationship, three in one. God the creator, God the embodied one, and God the spirit. Three and yet distinct in positionality, time, space, and movement, and also equal. And when Paul uses this pairing, Christ Jesus, in this passage in Philippians, Christ Jesus, he's making a theological claim. Christ divinity, Jesus humanity. Christ Jesus being perfectly identical with God, not using that to his advantage. So we may understand this to be the heart of the story of Jesus, that being God embodied, Jesus disperses all our misperceptions about God. It's this gift of the Christian tradition, this notion of incarnation, the idea that God embodied means when we look to Jesus, we are finally able to see with clear eyes who God is, and surprisingly, that image is nonviolent. <laughs> And by reflecting on this, we can learn something important then about how power and hierarchy functions within nonviolent love. So this idea informs our Vox value of posture. We have several values that surfaced as a community as we reflected on what was emerging among us over several years. And this is one of those values. We've chosen to express it this way. Posture means for us, God gives grace to the humble 
and a posture of humility emerges as we receive grace in community. Jesus, though equal with God, emptied himself of power and made himself human, and we are also called to a deep acceptance of our messy humanity, both ours and others, just as Jesus practiced. So let's then become curious together what it might mean for us to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider being perfectly identical with God, something to be used to his advantage, but he embraced his humanness, used his power to connect with us, to be in non-hierarchical relationship with us, to reveal to us God's non-punishing, non-violent love. And how might we embody that in the way we think about leadership and power in community? Or to put the question another way, what might it mean to be a community of equals? Here at Vox, we have paid staff and pastors. We also have our navigation team, which we call NAV. We invite uh, anyone who wants to into covenant membership, where the, our covenant members then give input to the pastors and staff in NAV, and they vote on decisions that impact our community as a whole. So there are definitely tasks that are designated for di different roles and varying weights of responsibility. And also, what might it mean for power to flow in our community less like a ladder and more like a circle. So as you're listening to the homilies over these next few weeks, you might begin reflecting on these two images and just notice how your embodied self responds to this idea of experimenting with a mindset of non-hierarchy as an embodiment of nonviolent love and just see what you notice. And please share that wisdom with us and with each other as we're discerning this together. So our text continues. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So the second thing we might notice is this word human. This word in Greek is inclusive of all genders, ages. The word refers to the collective of all humanity, which includes anyone with a human body. And so perhaps take a moment right now, again, to connect back with your precious embodied self. And let's notice together, what is it like to imagine Jesus in a body like ours? with arm hair and curious body odors and noises, digestive sounds that make for awkward social moments and all these desires and frailties and moments of pain and all the things we find difficult about embodying a human body. And then let's notice also, what do we find exquisite about embodying a human body? What is it about these soft, warm, strong, sensitive parts of us that help us connect with each other, to feel empathy and feel one another's pain, and to make a felt difference, to offer a felt sense of comfort simply by being present to one another in our bodies? 
And so zooming out from that, let's imagine together what it might mean for Vox to function like a body of individuals co-creating something together that the leaders could not envision on their own and that none of us would be able to create or experience on our own where we need each other equally. Or perhaps another way to ask that same question might be this, what does it mean to embrace our common humanness that as a community of equals, we all have bodies and these bodies all have a few common universal needs for safety and nourishment and connection and individuality and growth and freedom and creativity and interdependence. And what kind of power structure permits all bodies to thrive? That may be a helpful question for us to keep alive in this conversation as we go along. All right, so our text for today wraps up with this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. So this word in this last line that we might notice here is this word humble. The word in Greek holds the sense of being brought low, to be made mutually dependent or interdependent. It's this vision of climbing down off the ladder and joining the circle. So a final question for us might be this. How might we imagine practicing the nonviolence of Jesus through a circle of power, a circle of leadership, a circle of shared responsibility for this beautiful community where we practice interdependence and nonviolent love with ourselves, with one another, and with the, the larger world beyond us. And sort of like the flip side of that question might be when we have experienced that not happening, like when we have experienced faith communities where violence is perpetuated, what are we to make of that? Like what makes the difference? And how can we be intentional about creating power structures which prevent and reduce and help to heal violence rather than perpetuating it? I'll offer some of my thoughts on this and we're inviting you to share your reflections and your wisdom in the coming weeks as we discern together. But here's one place my mind goes with that question. My family of origin broke apart when I was really young. And ever since I can see that I have been trying to recreate an experience of family wherever I go. I've done that here at Vox. I do that in my friend group, in my work. And that's a wholesome, understandable desire. And also consider with me that as beautiful and nourishing and loving, particularly as we are here at Vox, a church is different from a family in some really wonderful ways. And that's a good thing. Many of us have been involved however, and I was in faith communities where powerful leaders held out the promise of family because it engendered loyalty to those leaders. And for someone like me who desired 
a family experience I had never had, that was seductive to my younger parts. And it made me loyal then to leaders and systems who were doing harm and I was either blind to it or in a bind about what to do about it because my younger parts needed so much to belong. And so I've been working over the last several years and I, I have the idea that many of you have too, to detangle those needs and learn to bring my family needs of my younger parts to wonderful therapists uh, and to trusted people in my actual family or my chosen family. And that has helped me to not look so much to charismatic leaders or hierarchical institutions to simulate family for those tender young parts of me. So that's some part of how this conversation connects with my own story. Maybe that resonates for you. Maybe your story is vastly different than that. And if so, that's wonderful. And each of us has some important wisdom for us to learn about this conversation. I want to suggest that for those of us for whom there may be some a little bit of loss or grief in this idea that a non-hierarchical church will feel to our younger parts maybe less like a family. <laughs> like we might have to let some of that go. But there is also something really beautiful to be gained. Something exquisite that a non-hierarchical community can embody something more like a village of equals, where we're invited to use our power to influence one another, uh, to mutually teach and guide each other. And I want to end with just maybe um, a reflection on this word power, and then I'll bring us to a, a conclusion. There's an ethicist I really respect named Cedar Barstow. She, she writes about what she calls right use of power. And here's how she thinks about these words. So I'll just invite you to see where this might connect for you. Allow these words to just kind of wash over you. So the first word is power, the ability to affect or influence one another or systems or processes or outcomes. It's what enables us to try things, to run experiments, to take action. So sometimes that might mean action in the form of prayer or in the form of initiating a conversation or getting involved or increasing or decreasing a practice in our life. And so here at Vox, we are committed to just running experiments together, to using our power to practice some things together. And th some of those things uh, will go well and some of those things weren't, won't and we'll just learn from them. So that's some way of how we think about power here. This word influence means how we interact with others to make changes and have an effect. So it's how we try to make a difference that makes a difference. <laughs> and then there's two subsets of power. So role power is the power that accompanies a professional role. This does create some power differentials. So here at Vox, for instance, we have paid pastors and staff. We have our navigation team. Volunteers have role power over tasks related to finances or partnerships or our building, our midweek groups, our greenhouse program, our Xamarin program. Designating who's in charge of certain tasks 
Like when we show up to Vesper and the window is broken, like who's going to call Chuck Garcia? <laughs> Who is genuinely one of the most delightful, cheerful human beings when he gets a call like that. <laughs> um, knowing who has which role power is really important for just clarity in a community. And then we all have personal power, which we might think of as the generative capacity to use our unique gifts and make real our intentions. I really like how Cedar phrases that, make real our intentions. So each of you has an intention for our Vox community, whether you're conscious of it or not. <laughs> and you've had experiences of faith communities before or faith communities you've avoided up till now. Uh, and you've had experiences with family and those will inform your intentions for our community. And we welcome that information into this conversation. You also embody unique gifts and wisdom that we need in order to discern what it might mean to nonviolently love ourselves and one another and those beyond our circle of our Vox community. And finally, I want to end with this. Cedar Barstow calls this the right use of power when we're using our personal and professional role power in right ways, ways that prevent violence, prevent, reduce, repair, harm, and when we're using our power to evolve and deepen our relationships so that we might promote sustainable well-being, sustainable well-being for all. So. Right use of power means not over or underutilizing our power. And so this is the final question I'm going to leave us with. When do we perhaps tend to overutilize or underutilize our power in communities like this? It's been said it can be as damaging for us to underutilize our power as it can be to overutilize it. And uh, I can recognize that because of my sensitivity to harm, I can sometimes hold back. And so in places where we may be underutilizing power, perhaps consider dialing yours up. <laughs> Give yourself permission to claim your influence in this community. And we will all be nourished by your unique perspective and participation. That's how we all learn and grow and heal together as a body. And being found in appearance as a man, a fully embodied human being, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the closing thought. It may feel sometimes like practicing your power in a community like Vox will lead to death. <laughs> but it will not. <laughs> Many of us have experienced or witnessed people who use their power, even rightly, in faith communities, metaphorically put to death, sacrificed, scapegoated. We're committed to practicing a different kind of community rooted in nonviolent love here. So what if the ladder could be laid down? What if power could truly flow in a circle? And what if this is meant by the word humility? What if this is what the story of Jesus reveals to us about the humility and nonviolent love of God? We open today by creating some stillness inside us, and I'll invite us to close by doing that again. So perhaps if you would take one more moment, close your eyes if it's helpful, and begin to slow down your 
out breath, once more scanning your body. And in these final moments, notice what's resonating with you from this discussion about hierarchy and non-hierarchy. Allow a word or a phrase to surface for you that names something you wish to continue reflecting on or maybe an insight you would contribute to this conversation. I'll give you a moment. Just notice the word that surfaces for you. It's probably the right one. One more deep breath. If you're willing to share a word or phrase from today's conversation that you wish to continue reflecting on, let's just uh, speak them into the room. Let's see if a theme's emerging. What word surfaced for you? Influence. Call it out loudly. Reclaim. Reclaim. Holding back. back. Sustainability. Sustainability. Centering connection. Good. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being involved with us in this grand experiment of embodying non-hierarchy and non-violent love in this community of exquisite diverse bodies gathered together around a single story, the story of Jesus and God's non-violent love made visible in us and through us. I'll leave us with these words of blessing from Jan Richardson. I cannot tell you how the light comes What I know is that it is more ancient than imagining, that it travels across an astounding expanse to reach us, that it loves searching out what is hidden, what is lost, what is forgotten, or in peril or in pain, that it has a fondness for the body, for finding its way toward flesh, for tracing the edges of form, for shining forth through the eye, the hand, the heart, I cannot tell you how the light comes, but that it does, that it will, that it works its way into the deepest dark that enfolds you, that it may seem long ages in coming or arrive in a shape you did not foresee. And so may we this day turn ourselves toward it. May we lift our faces to let it find us. May we bend our bodies to follow the arc it makes. May we open and open more and open still to the blessed light that comes. In the name of God who knows us, Christ embodied, and the Spirit who makes us one. Amen.